1982, we, we were living in Baton Rouge at the time, uh, and, and it was Christmas morning. And I think it was one of, one of the more exciting Christmas, Christmases for me in a long time because our oldest son, Brian, had just turned two about a month before that. And so it really was the first, the, the first Christmas that I got to be a dad where, where he was going to kind of understand what was going on. And, and the night before, uh, uh, Christmas Eve night, I'd stayed up late putting together a, uh, I'm not sure what you call it, a, a bouncy horse. You know those, it's a horse that, that's on springs on all four corners and you can bounce on it and rear back on it. I, I'd spent the evening putting that together and I couldn't wait for Brian to see that horse. I'd, I, I'd had friends that had those when I was young. I didn't. We were too poor to have one, right, Rita? But, uh, uh, I, she gets mad that I say that, but, but I, I'd been on one before, but I was so excited that Brian was going to have that. And Christmas morning came and, and we woke up and came downstairs and I was, I was excited as Brian came around the corners from the stairs and headed in. We had the Christmas tree and the gifts around it and we'd, we had set that or I'd set that, couldn't wrap it. So I'd set that out kind of in front of the Christmas tree. And Brian turned and saw the stuff and took off running. And man, I am thrilled. The thought crossed my mind like, oh, I should have got the hat. I should have got a cowboy hat. And man, I could have got him some chaps and a little lariat rope. Man, I wish I'd have got all that. He's going to love this horse. And and I'm envisioning him like a Lone Ranger running up behind it and jumping, kind of hitting the back of it and landing on top of the bouncy horse and whoa, up and... And instead... He ran right past that horse to the Christmas tree and the boxes, the brightly wrapped and bowed boxes around the Christmas tree and was looking at all the gifts there for him and his his younger brother Joel who was, uh, was a, a, yeah, daddy, about six months old. And Rita must have, must have realized the, the shock on my face and the disappointment on my face because she said, uh, she said, Brian, didn't you see your horse? And Brian stops and turns back and looks at it and says, yeah, and, and turns back to the, to, to the boxes. Oh man. Now, now, now full, full disclosure, he did get on the horse later because I picked him up and shook the gift out of his hand and set him on that horse and said, you are going to ride this horse like your life depends on it, boy. He actually ended up playing with it and, uh, and, and I guess enjoyed it, maybe not as much as I, uh, I had hoped he would. Christmas time, we often find ourselves distracted. D- distracted from the gift that we're really here to celebrate. The, distracted from what God wants us to really see, uh, by, by, by activities and busyness and trappings and, and yes, even Christmas gifts that aren't the, the true gift. The, this morning, we're gonna look at uh, we're going to look at that gift, um, and, and actually, to do so, we're going to we're going to go backwards. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll we'll look forward a little bit, but we're going to go back and look into the Old Testament to see uh, to see that gift uh, of of the Lamb, because that's what was given to us in the New Testament. It was the gift of Lamb. If you have your Bibles, uh, I want you to follow with me, and I'll just read one verse. It kind of kind of sets the scene for where we're at, and then then we're going to. We're going to go to the Old Testament and look at a couple different stories from the Old Testament that, that talk about this. But in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, the, the 29th verse, this, this is leading up to the start of Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist 
is in this scene and he sees Jesus. The next day, verse 29, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look, the Lamb of God. We're going to look this morning at the gift of the Lamb. But to do so, we're going to look back and and we'll see a couple stories from the Old Testament that that give us a type, that kind of give us an illustration, that kind of show us uh, some insight into that coming Lamb that that John pointed out here in uh, the uh, in in the Gospel of John that John the Baptist pointed out when he saw Jesus. Here's the first thing we'll look at: we see the promise of the Lamb. To do that, we're going to look at Abraham and, and a, a little bit about the life of Abraham. His story is full of twists and turns uh, throughout his life. You see him responding oftentimes with faith, but also sometimes with some doubt. To understand the promise of the Lamb, we have to we have to understand Abraham's story. Now, now I want you to understand Abraham. I'm gonna I'm gonna to help you do that. I'm gonna teach you guys a song. Some of you probably know it. If you know this song, I want you to join in with me. It, this is a uh, this is one of those songs. Some of the songs we sing, you know, are just for fun, but some songs have deep, rich, powerful message messages with them. So that last song we sang, that, that, oh, that's a beautiful song, but this is one of those. It has a, a rich history. It teaches us a lot. So if you know the song, join in with me. If you don't, you'll pick it up really quick. It goes like this. And it tells us about Abraham and, and really kind of gives helps us understand who he was in that promise of that lamb. Are you ready? If you know it, sing along with me. Bobby, I know you know it. You know what I'm doing, don't you? Father Abraham had many sons. Come on. And many sons had. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. Okay, we'll stop there. Because we could just keep on going. If you don't know the song, give us a right arm, the left arm, right foot, left foot, uh, turn around, sit down, all the way through. Now that's kind of a kid's song, it's kind of a fun song. I love doing that when, when I used to do uh, youth stuff, I'd do that song, then I'd send them off to class, you know, get them all riled up and, and excited and send them off to teachers, try to get them to calm down now if you, if you could. But, but, but the reality is that song is rich. That song really is powerful. It's simple. Father Abraham had many sons. Now, now the story we're going to look at uh, in Abraham is that that he was promised that he was going to be the father of a great nation. Now, we know from that promise there was going to be so many relatives, so many descendants that that they, there going to be so many like the sands of the sea, like the stars of the sky. And we know from that would 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 come Jesus. And then we know through the New Testament that we are adopted in, we become adopted sons of Abraham because of what Christ did. He died on the cross and, and we have adoption as sons into his family. So, so there really is a great truth in that Abraham was the father of many sons. But here's the problem. Here's the rub. A, a, a promise was given. God said, Abraham, you're gonna, you're gonna be the father of a great nation. If you have your, Bibles, turn with me to Genesis. We're gonna, we're gonna look at about four, I think, four different sections in Genesis. So, when you get to Genesis 12, we'll look there first, uh, and, and just kind of hold it open, because we're gonna bounce around in a couple different places. 
Genesis chapter 12. Let's look, first of all, at the first three verses. There it says, the Lord said to Abram. Now, Abram meant exalted father. If, if you continue reading on a little bit later in Genesis, uh, God changed Abram's name to Abraham, which meant father of many. So, really to illustrate the fact that you're going to have many sons. So the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will, and, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. What he understood from this simple promise was that he was going to be the father of a great nation. He was going to have children and children's children. He was going to have a great family. That was, that was the promise, promise given. If you look over in chapter 15, uh, starting in the first verse, chapter 15, there we see this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham or Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. He's, he's talking about the promise again. But Abram said, Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? God said, you're going you're gonna to be the father of nations. There's only one problem. Ab- Abram was saying, I don't have any kids. You, you kind of have to have a kid to be a father of a great nation. I, I remain childless. And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. That's kind of, he, it's a statement, but really is a question. You, you've not come through on your promise, but so, so it's got to be someone else. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed God, believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited as righteousness. Now I want to point out, I want to point out a reality right now in Abraham's life. I, I, I find it somewhat encouraging. Maybe, maybe, maybe it shouldn't encourage us, but, but it's a truth and it's a reality. And I, I, I tend to find it a little bit encouraging. Here is Abram who was, was promised a great nation and it was said of him, and we see it repeated in the New Testament. His, his faith was credited to him as righteousness. We see him as a great man who believed and, and his righteousness came through his faith because God said it, he believed it was going to happen. But catch this. Abraham struggled to believe it. We open up scripture and, and we can hardly open a page of scripture that we don't see a promise. In fact, I would, I would assume if I were to ask you, I'm not going to do this to freak out here, but if I were to ask you, hey, when you're really struggling, when you're hurting, when, when you're down, when things are going bad, what what scripture do you go to? And I, I bet a lot of you could say, well, you know what, I, I turn to my, my go-to verse, and I, I turn to uh, a psalm, and I read that psalm, and it just reminds me that God's there. Or you might say, you know what, I, I, I turn to a gospel, and there's, a, there, there's this one chapter, and these verses in this chapter that, man, I, when I read that, it just reminds me that God's there. I, I go to one of the epistles, and, and, and I bet you could you could talk about verses that remind you that God's in control, that God's the creator, that God's going to lift you out of the miry clay, that God is going to be there in, in your, in your shadows, and He's going to be there in your times of difficulty. The, the, the reality is you, you can find promises. Abram had a promise here. God was going to bless him through his children, 
but he didn't have children yet. And, and quite honestly, he was struggling with that just a little bit. Even, even Abram, even Abraham, who became the father of a great nation, who became the father of the Christ, who became our relative through that as well, struggled to believe. You know, there are times, and, and Chad, I appreciate you giving your heartfelt thoughts here this morning. There, there's times we as believers who, who, who know that God's there and we've got the promises that we believe in, that we trust in. There are times when we don't see God act immediately, when we don't see God give us victory right now, that we begin to struggle and we begin to doubt and we begin to have a little bit of a hard time. And you know what? That was true of Abraham also. If, if you're still there in Genesis, turn over to chapter 17. Uh, look, look with me at verse, uh, starting with verse 15. God also said to Abraham, okay, now he's changed his name to Abraham earlier in this chapter. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer going to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. Now, now let me stop there just for a second. Uh, Abraham's old now. Um, he's, he's up in years. He's, he's almost a hundred. Sarah's ninety. He's reminding him that, hey, you're, you're gonna have a baby here. And he, he says, okay, here's the first thing. You're gonna change your wife's name. Guys, work with me on this one. How, how, how well do you think that would go? Uh, at, at any time, if, and I'm not talking about telling your wife you're gonna have a baby, but if you just, if you, uh, if, if you went home and said, honey, God talked to me today, and I'm gonna change your name. If I went home to Rita, for, for example, and said, Rita, God talked to me, and I'm supposed to call you now Estelle. No? <laughs> now she wouldn't, actually wouldn't be that, but that's her middle name. <laughs> Rita Estelle, I want you to remember that. She hated that growing up. Now she she actually likes it because she had a, a an aunt that she was named after that's very close and 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 she loves that aunt and and uh, so so it it actually has meaning for her. So she wouldn't be that upset. But 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 what if you what if you went home, Sherman? You 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 went you went home. It's not going to be Mary Jane. We're I'm going to call you Gladys. God said, call you Gladys. That'd go well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, so you, so it starts off, it starts off, God says, Abraham, tell your wife that I'm going to change her name. Now, we don't know what Sarai meant, but, uh, necessarily, but Sarah meant princess. So not just that, but I'm 90 years old and you're going to start calling me princess? Really? And, and yet God told him that. So, uh, You'll no longer call her Sarah. You'll name her Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Now, now catch what happens with Abraham. Now, now God's talking to him. So you think, surely if God's promising and God's talking, man, you're just going to believe it without any fail. Verse 17, Abraham, Abraham fell face down. He laughed. Now, I bet you remember and we'll read this later on about Sarah laughing, but did you know that Abraham laughed as well? Uh, Abraham laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Now his laughter wasn't like, wow, this is great, this is funny. 
his laughter was sarcasm. His laughter was, God, you promised me something, but it hasn't happened, and it's not going to happen. And notice what he says, and I'll give you the background on this. You probably know it, but uh, verse 18 says, And Abraham, Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Ishmael was was his, uh, we would call him an Ill, illegitimate child. In, in that in that era, that's not how they would have saw it. Since Sarah couldn't have babies and, and, and they, uh, they wanted to have a child, God had promised them a child. Sarah had come to Abraham a, a little bit before this and said, take my, take my, ma- uh, uh, my, my servant, uh, 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 Hagar and, and have a child through her. Now that sounds weird and, and actually it, Abraham should have trusted God and Sarah should have trusted God, but, but it really was somewhat culturally acceptable. If you couldn't have a child to use one of your servants, to, to provide a child for the uh, for, for your husband, so it wasn't that big of a deal, even though it really was a lack of faith on their part. But so Sarah had done that; she'd given him Hagar. Then Sarah got upset; she got very jealous that it happened, and it really turned into a bad deal. In fact, when we choose to to not follow what God asks us to do, oftentimes that's what happens. You you can take the story out the rest of the way. We know who Hagar who, who Hagar had as a child, Ishmael son of Abraham, but we know who Ishmael became a father of. Basically, the whole Islam nation is finds Ishmael as their father. And we, we it's been in the news this week about about putting the capital back in uh, uh, Jerusalem. Uh, President Trump has suggested that and promised that. And, and, and people keep complaining about the peace. But, oh, the peace. There's never going to be peace in Israel. Because you have you have Abraham's two sons fighting, and it will always be that way. And why did it happen? Because they believed, but they struggled just a little bit. See, sometimes we we believe, but it's so hard for us to hang on to that trust. Look over in chapter uh, chapter 18, verses, and this is the verses you probably remember about Sarah, verse 10. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, now I will have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Sometimes sometimes it's hard to trust the promise that's been given. Sometimes it's hard to trust. But but I want you to note something here. God acted. God acted in Abraham and Sarah's life, even though they were struggling to believe. Even even though they they were struggling to put their faith, God still acted. Bob, Bob Russell tells this story. He said he was at a, a conference and he heard the testimony of a guy named Daryl Gilliard. He, he said Gilliard was a brilliant young black preacher and, and 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 as he was talking he Gilliard told his story he said that he was born as an illegitimate child in New York City uh 
when he was only about five or six years old, his parents took him to Florida and they dropped him off at a friend's house and they said, we're, we're going to go find work and when we find work, we'll come back and get him. Daryl says that his parents never returned. And so he found himself in the foster care system and he ended up in the home of a lovely Christian lady and this Christian lady just poured in the truth about God and how God loved her into his life. And, and she told him, though, no matter what others have done to you, God loves you and there's a God who has a plan for you. And she's the one that taught him, Jesus loves you, this I know, because the Bible tells you so. But when he was eight years old, this foster mother died and, and he was thrust back into the system. He said he bounced around from foster home to foster home to foster home. Then at age 13, he found himself abandoned, living under a bridge. Uh, in a highway in Florida. Uh, he went on, even though he was homeless, living on a bridge to, to, to finish high school. But he said, said, at 13, I remember laying underneath that bridge and looking up at the sky and looking up at the stars and just praying, God, why? God, why? Is it too much to ask that, that a 13-year-old boy have a home? God, is it too much to ask that a 13-year-old boy have a warm bed? God, is it too much to ask that 13-year-old boy have a, have a hot meal. Father, is it, God, is it too much to ask that, that a 13-year-old boy have a mom and a dad? And Gary went on as he given his, given his testimony. He said, now, so I don't care what your, your, your theology is. You may disagree with this, but I'm telling you it happened. As I was crying out to God, God, why? I heard his voice. And he simply said, Daryl, trust me. Gary said that he went on Finished high school, found his way into college, eventually into seminary, and then into ministry. He said it was years later that he actually had the opportunity to meet his biological father and actually lead him to the Lord. But he said, it wasn't until then that I understood. In talking to his biological father, he found out that he had several other siblings, several other brothers, and every one of his brothers... uh, uh, had ended up in uh, alcohol and drugs, and all of his brothers were in prison. He found out that both his mom and his dad had ended up in lives of crime and, and, and uh, uh, abusing of alcohol and drugs, and their lives had fallen apart. Gilder said, I remembered or thought for the very first time, God hadn't deserted me under that bridge. God was protecting me under that bridge. See, see, it was only after the fact that he looked back and realized, yeah, God, you kept your promise. Abraham and Sarah were given a, given a promise. Uh, they were given a promise and, and they actually struggled to believe it, but it was only after the fact that they understood. In fact, they named their son, their first son, Isaac. The Isaac means, uh, means laughter or laughing. And, and and so can you imagine, every time they called his name, they were reminded of laughter. Every time uh, uh, Abraham would holler out, Isaac, it's time to come home for supper, he would be reminded of laughter. He'd be reminded of the time that he doubted God and laughed. And every time Sarah said, hey, uh, hey, uh, said Isaac, it's time to go to bed, she would remember laughter, and she would remember laughing and even lying to God. They were reminded of God's faithfulness every time, every time that they gave uh, they called his name. There's a promise given. God has given us many, many promises. Sometimes it's tough to believe them, but there was a promise that was believed. I, I gotta hurry on here. I'm going a little, little longer. Promise believed. I, I'm not gonna read the text. You know the story. Genesis chapter 22, 
verses 1 to 14 tell the story of a time when, when God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, take your son Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice. And we know how that story goes. He loaded up Isaac and he had the wood and he had, had all of his stuff and they headed up to a mountain to, to sacrifice him. And Isaac makes this comment. He says, he, he says to his father, father, uh, we, we have the wood and we have the fire, but where, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? In, in uh, chapter 22, uh, verse 7, it says, The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? In verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. I, I wish this story were several chapters long. I wish I knew of the inner turmoil that Abraham was going through. I, I would like to know what Abraham told Sarah. Did, did, did he mention that, that God had said sacrifice? I, I don't think he did, but, but I wish I knew those de- details. I wish I knew the, the argument that uh, Abraham was having with himself and, and having with God as they traveled. But all it tells us is that he took him and he was ready to offer the sacrifice. And we know from the story that God did provide the lamb. We, we see Abraham changing from one that was given a promise and struggled sometime to now when God had asked the most difficult thing from him and he believed the promise. The, the purpose of the Lamb. We see the promise of the Lamb, but the purpose of the Lamb. If you have your Bibles, turn over with me to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. We'll look at one quick story there and, and then get finished up here. Exodus chapter 12, starting with verse 21. This is the story of Moses and the Passover. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood into the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out of the door of the house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and will not permit the destroyer to enter the house and strike you down. The purpose of the land is for us to be delivered from death. The, Moses was instructed to instruct the families to take the blood and dip it and, and sprinkle it on the doorpost so the destroyer, the death angel, would pass over. A little bit later, we'll come to our communion time. And, and, and that's, that, that's what we'll celebrate is the fact that there was blood that was given. In fact, when Jesus gave the Last Supper, it was during the, the feast to remember this story. The blood was shed, the blood was given so that they would be delivered, delivered from death. See, the, the blood of the Lamb that was promised takes away our death. Reed and I, it's been five or six years ago, went on a cruise. Uh, we, we flew into to San Juan and then t- took a cruise of the Southern Caribbean. Uh, it was the second or third day. It was a day at sea, and we were we were out by the pool area, and 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 it was starting to get a little bit crowded. It was a little bit hard to find some seats, and I saw at at one end of the pool, kind of a, a, a little amphitheater looking area of chairs. I saw what I thought said a, a little sign that said "Gold Card" or or, or "Gold Level." It's what I thought it said, "Gold Level," and I'm thinking, I'm Gold Level. Now, all, all it takes in Royal Caribbean to get gold levels to go like maybe on three cruises or something. But we'd gone on three. In fact, if we go on another one, we're going to go up to diamond. 
That's really important. You know what we get at diamond level? We get a bathrobe. Yeah. So we can walk around the ship in our bathrobe. But <laughs> we won't do that. Um, but at gold level, you, you get a special place you can check in, and I think we got a half-price milkshake or something like that. But, but I had on my card, my gold, my Royal Caribbean card that, that you used on the ship, it said right on there, gold level. And I, I and I saw this, and, and I thought it said gold level, and there were seats, and every seat had a towel on it, and, and there was someone standing there, one of the employees stand there, looked like maybe they were waiting on people, and I'm thinking, and then I looked a little closer, and it didn't say gold gold level, it said gold card. There's a difference. Because apparently if you go, I don't know how many, maybe 20, 20 cruises or more than that, you get a gold card. And it literally is a card that's gold, and that means you are important. And, and so I could have walked up there and whipped out my gold level card, and they just would have laughed at me. No, this is for gold card people. It, it was that same trip that we were flying... I believe it was out of Atlanta on down down to San Juan, and 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 they began to call the uh, the 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 boarding of the plane, and and as they said, if they announced the flight to San Juan, such and such a flight, and and now it wasn't Southwest. Southwest, you know, if you're an A, B, or C, but they announced it, and and like most airlines, everyone stood up and and, and were getting ready, even though you weren't going to be the ones. We all stood up, and and I'm I'm kind of excited. They're going to call our level. Now our card said four, and I thought, well, maybe they're going to call four first, but. But there were a group of people that didn't stand up. They stood up a little later when they said, we're going to board first-class passengers first. And those people who knew what was going to happen, then they stood up and they got on the plane. And, and to my chagrin, they, they, they boarded uh, level one and then level two and level three. And they finally got to us who were sitting at the back of the plane. And I, I remember as I walked on the plane thinking, are we ever going to, is there going to be room for our, our overhead luggage? That's always the problem. But I remember as we walked through the cabin, uh, the first, pla- first class cabin, as we walked through there and we looked at these people who already had been served drinks. I mean, th- and, and it wasn't just a little glass of about, you know, a third of a, a can of Coke. I mean, they, they had, they had glasses of wine and champagne. They were already eating snacks. Not, not just a, that little baby package with four peanuts in it and, and four, or four pretzels. I mean, they had real snacks. And, and as we walked by them, they, they kind of looked like, we're first class. And there's a couple of them that kind of look almost sad, like, <laughs> you, you poor person. Enjoy your, and, and, and their seats were, they were, they were like leather recliners. I don't know if they were quite like that, but, but as I remember, I mean, they were big old overstuffed chairs and, and we were going to be back, you know, huddled close to one another. You know, sometimes there's, there's a difference. A, a, a gold card got you special treatment, a, a first class ticket gets you special treatment. When, when we are covered by the blood, when, when the blood is sprinkled over the doorposts, the, the, the Israelites were treated differently. When we're covered by the blood of the Lamb, we're treated differently. See, we're, we're delivered from death, but we're also delivered from, from sin, from the slavery that sin costs us and finally let's just let's just finish with this there is a price of the lamb see see the cost of, of the lamb didn't come cheap first corinthians 5 7 says get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are for christ the passover lamb has been sacrificed 
1 Peter 1, verse 17 through 21 says, Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. A lamb without blemish. There is a price that was paid. Let me close with this. Bill Bill Frey tells this story. It's about a young man that he had in in a college course that he taught in Colorado. It was in the late late sixties. He was teaching the class. The, the, the young man's name was John, and John was blind. and And he got to know John as the course continued through that year. and 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 as he was talking to John one day, he asked him, "Well, well." Did, were you born blind or, or what happened? And, and he got close enough, he felt he could ask that. And he said, no. He said, I was born seeing, but when I was a teenager, I had an accident and, and I, I, lost my, I lost my sight. And he said, when that happened, he said, I became very bitter and angry. And, and, and the professor thought that was kind of odd because this young man seemed so full of life and so full of joy and so full of passion about things. And, and he said, well, tell me a little bit more about that because that just doesn't seem you. And he said, well... That's the way I used to be. He said, I was just so angry. In fact, I, I would go to my room. The only time I would come out of my room was to eat meals. And I began to feel sorry for myself. And I was mad at God. And I was mad at my parents. And I was mad at life. And he said, it was terrible. And, and finally, one day, my dad had had enough of it. He, he, he stormed in my room one day. And he told me, John, John, you are going to put up the storm windows while I'm at work today. And, and he said that. And then he slammed the door as he walked out. John says, I, I sat there for a while thinking, there's no way I can do that. Doesn't he know I'm blind? And then he thought to himself, well, I'll do it, but I'll probably fall off the ladder and break my neck, and then they'll really be sorry. But, but he did get up, and he walked outside, and he found his way to the garage and rumbled around in there till he found a ladder, and he put that up against the house. And, and then he found the storm windows, and, and slowly, it was difficult, but slowly he was able to, to put the storm windows up. One by one, by one. And he said that that act, that moment began to change my life. I realized that I could actually do something and that was the moment that changed my life. But he said, you know what is the most amazing story related to that? He said, I didn't find this out till years later. Talking to my dad that no time during that day was my dad more than four or five feet away from me to make sure I was okay. We are, we are promised a lamb. A lamb that will take away our sins. A lamb that will give us life. A lamb that is a gift from God. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you've given us, you've given us hope that you provided the, the lamb to take away our sin, to, to give us life. Father, we thank you for the fact that you look at our lives and, and don't judge us according to what we should be receiving, but you judge us as your sons and your daughters. You, you restore to us the hope of your salvation. Father, we know that you give us promises, and sometimes, Father, it is difficult for us to believe it's hard for us to trust, but Lord, we pray 
that you'll help us see you in every day of our life. Father, give us, give us your hope in Jesus' name. Amen. If you know Christ, then you know that, that hope that he offers. If you know Jesus, you know that the promises he gives are true. And if you don't know him, you simply can. I would invite you this morning, if you don't know Christ, I would invite you this morning, if you're struggling, uh, to, to turn back to the one that can answer all of life's questions. Would you stand with me?